How many of you have a favorite place in your house where you like to kind of park it? You know what I'm talking about? You know, putting rear ends in recliners. You know, that's your full-time job now. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, that, that place you like to park, we can call it a lazy boy if you want to. I don't actually have a lazy boy. But I got something that's actually very competitive to that. For me to be comfortable in my home, my, my most comfortable spot typically is in front of the screen, which is elevated. So when I lay my chair back, I don't have to move my eyes or my head. It's just right there, right? But for it to really be my spot, it's got to have a place for the remote, and it must have a place for my coffee cup. Got to have both, right? I mean, you can't, you got to have all the those things. Now, for some of you, you know, you're scrolling through Facebook. Uh, for others, you might actually be reading a book. Go imagine you're doing something that's actually very beneficial to your brain. Uh, but yet, all of us have this place of comfort where we go. And, and man, we like to be in that comfort zone because there's nothing threatening, nothing challenging, and we really enjoy that spot. Here's the only danger in that. I'm afraid that all of us as Christ followers sometimes find ourselves in our Christian journey in that same spot. We're very comfortable where we are, and yet here's what I want to challenge you on this morning, and we're not even to the challenge part of the message yet. I want to challenge you to think about the fact God's not called you to a life of comfort. God's not called you to kick back and be content. God's not called you to put it on autopilot or or to kick back and not have to move your head and make any effort. In In fact, Paul says you're going to work out your salvation, not work for, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so as I'm going through my salvation journey, like, now wait, wait a minute, Pastor, am I not saved at the point of belief? Yes, but you're in the process of being continually saved is what the Bible teaches us. And so in this process of being continually saved, there should be no moment that I put it on autopilot, no moment that I kick it back into the lazy boy. In fact, we're going to talk about a character today that you haven't met. As you study through the book of Acts, we, we know all about Saul, and, and Saul becomes the very famous missionary named Paul. But before Saul was Paul, there was a guy that God called out of his comfort zone. Now, I'm not saying he was in his lazy boy, but what we see when God calls him is that he does not like this assignment God gives him. In fact, he makes it very clear to God. He he comes up with the reasons why God shouldn't give it to him and why he shouldn't minister to this guy in particular. Yet before Saul becomes Paul, it took a guy named Ananias stepping out of his comfort zone to do what God assigned him for Saul to become Paul. And so now think about this. The guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament named Paul would not have come become Paul. He would have remained Saul if God hadn't impacted him visually and personally and then sent a guy to him named Ananias. And so, so here's the deal. This morning, I want us to contemplate us getting out of our own comfort zone because there may be a Saul just waiting to turn into Paul. And God may use you as he did Ananias to turn that Saul into Paul. Now, now, now think about that. Think of the impact that the apostle Paul had. But before Paul had his impact, a dude named Ananias got out of his lazy boy, got out of his comfort zone, and went did something that was at great risk to himself, at great cost to himself, and then God did something great after that. So this morning, I want you to focus on this idea that sometimes God expects us to get out of our comfort zone in order for him to accomplish something that's so much bigger than us that we can't even see it. And here's the deal, Ananias still doesn't know. He will someday. But Ananias would have died not knowing all the people that Paul touched. Ananias would have died not knowing, I'm going to stand in front of you today and read Scripture about Saul, the guy that he went to. There's no way he knew. And so, again, we don't do it for known reward. We may not even see it be fulfilled in our lifetime. But, again, God sometimes calls you to get out of your comfort zone. We're going to talk about the different ways that God calls us to get out of the comfort zone. Sometimes it's a go to an individual. Sometimes it's a take a stand on principle. Sometimes it is to share the gospel. Sometimes it's just a simple invite across the road or across the gas pump while you're sitting at Casey's. 
whatever it may be, we're going to talk about what does it mean for God to get us out of our comfort zone? What does it look like if we're willing to do it and we're actually living that out? And so that's where we're going today as we continue in our study of Acts. So pray with me. Let's get our hearts and our minds ready to study. Father, thank you for the chance to voice to you our praise in song and in prayer. And Father, both of those are acts of worship. Anytime we're offering those to you, it's, it's an act of worship because we're directing it to the one that we acknowledge as God. And please, as you've heard me pray to you even personally this morning, you are the one true God. And so we approach you as the creator God of all that exists. And we owe everything to you. In fact, the, the very breaths that we're drawing right now belong to you. And so, Father, we do come to bow ourselves before you, to humble ourselves in the presence of our mighty King. And yet, Father, you are so gracious that you tell us that we're one of your children. Father, not only can we come before you, but we can do so boldly. So we come before you boldly to learn today. And we ask that you would impact our learning with your wisdom. For, Father, this is a book that is divinely inspired, and since you were divine and we are not, Father God, we can't really grasp everything that's there unless you help us. Father, just like the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip, how can I learn if there's not someone to teach me? Father, how can we learn unless you teach us? So give us wisdom to comprehend today. Give us a deeper and a greater wisdom, and that wisdom would be that of application, that we would take truth that you show us in your word, and we would use it such a way today that at the end of my day today, Father, when my day comes to a close, if you give me a full day and I close my eyes, I will be more like Jesus at the end of it than I was at the beginning. Father, that's this journey, this spiritual path that we're on. And you give us no lazy bull moments in that. You expect us to continue to work during our salvation process. So, Father, bless us with wisdom in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. So if you would look at this, here, here's what it says in my text. There's a little heading. It says Saul's baptism. The baptism is just a small part of this. That's kind of the culmination of everything that we're about to read. So you're going to start with me there in verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And so remember what disciple is? We, we get confused sometimes as a kid. I thought disciple meant the 12 dudes. That's not disciple. Uh, that is apostle. Disciple is mathetes in Greek. It means a student or a pupil. So you are not a Christ follower if you're not a student of the word. You have to be a student of Jesus, a pupil of Jesus. And so the study of the word is a part of that. And so, so again, he's calling this particular believer that's in Damascus. We'll talk about Damascus and what I have on the screen in just one moment. And the Lord said to him in a vision. The word vision is orama in Greek. It literally means something that is seen. So this is something very physically seen. Now, whether he was asleep or awake, the text doesn't tell us, so we don't know if it's a dream-like vision or if he's sitting there and all of a sudden, zoom, there's a vision he has, but it's physically a vision. He actually sees something. Now, it's not what he sees, it's more so what he hears is important, but understand, God's communicating to him in a vision. I shared with you before, God may not communicate you to, with you or to you in dreams or visions because God has given us his full revealed word. Now, remember in the time of Ananias that we're reading about, the New Testament didn't exist. It's in the process of being written. Actually, it's oral history at that moment. He does have the Old Testament, but God is doing something and creating the New Testament, so this is part of that because the guy that Ananias is going to go to is going to write two-thirds of it. And so this has everything to do with the New Testament development, but that does not mean that God will not give you a specific vision or mission that he lays out for you. In fact, here's what Revelation says. In the end times, visions will increase among God's people. 
not anything new to this. There will never be a vision given that's in contradiction to this if that vision is by God. However, what Revelation is teaching is in the end times when God is bringing all of this to a close, his people will start getting information from him. Again, not in contradiction to the text, but in support and affirmation of the text. And so he has this actual vision. And notice, it's very personal. Notice this. This is how God works with you, too, in case you don't know. When you were called to salvation by God, when you were given the gift of faith, it wasn't general. Now, he may have been impacting other people, but in your salvation moment, as he dialogued with you, it was very personal. God may have been dialoguing with a million other people, but he was talking to me personally. And and notice what he says. He says, Ananias. He calls him by name. It's not, hey, you. Hey, good boy, come here. It's, it's Ananias. He called his name to get his attention, and he's got his attention. And notice his Isaiah-like response, Ananias, in his Isaiah-like response. Here I am, Lord, he replied. That, that is the best response when God calls. Yes, sir, is another good one. Um, just, just answer, yes, sir. Um, because he's calling, and there's something you need to do. Now, notice, it's in the imperative, verse 11. He's giving him commands. Get up and go. All right, so you do understand when God gives an imperative, when God gives a command, that lets you know this is not an optional assignment. You know, in the Mission Impossibles, it used to say in the old ones, you know, the old Mission Impossibles, if you should accept this assignment, that, that's not how God operates. He doesn't go, if you should accept, no, no, get up and go. Great commission, God says go. He means as you are carrying out your life, as you are going. Here he approaches Ananias, and it's not if you should accept this. He's like, get up and go. This is yours. Get up and go to the the street called Straight. All right, now let me give you a couple pictures here to kind of help you out. Uh, This is a Roman arch over here on the left that still exists to this day. This is in the city of Damascus. Guess what that Roman arch leads into? The street called Straight in Damascus. It's still there. No kidding. Here's what's kind of funny. The word translated as straight in Greek is a proper name in this text, but what it literally means is immediately or at once. Delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. We've covered this every week, right? So let's do it one more time. That way, the next time I ask it, everybody answers. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Okay, so when he gives a command, when God gives a specific assignment, when he calls you out by name, you are to obey when? Right then according to when he tells you. And, and so he says, go to this street called Straight. So, so here is Straight Street. No kidding. It is in Damascus, Syria. It still exists. And, and all these archaeologists believe it, it's still the same one that Ananias would have been sent to. All right, so you go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul since he is praying there. Oh, church, I love this. The, the phrase, I don't know what your text says, that this is a Christian standard Bible. Ask for doesn't mean ask for. It's the word zeteo in Greek, and it means to desire with all your might. So, so get this. Not only is God about to call him to do something that is at great risk to himself, that is very uncomfortable for him, God says, I want you to want this as bad as I do. Now listen, parents, is that not the most frustrating thing in the world, to raise your kids up, and then you, you want them to start making decisions until they start making decisions and thinking for themselves, and you go, what were you thinking? Because you want them to want what you want. You want them to desire what you want. And here's what my wife and I have discussed many times now, now that we've got one in college and one right behind her. I can't change her heart or his heart or my third child's heart. Only God can change the heart. So notice this. 
God is trying to get Ananias to see this is a heart moment. This is not just a risk moment. I want to change your heart. I'm going to change your heart about something. I want you to desire what I want. So this is the God creator who made Ananias, who also made you. And he's saying to Ananias, this is not just about an assignment. This is not just about duty and obedience. This is about I want your heart to be changed. I want you to desire the things that I want. Church, you do understand, you can obey out of obedience and duty. You you can be obedient out of duty. And that's not a bad thing. Robert E. Lee, the great war hero, said, you should do your duty in all things. So you can be obedient out of duty. But you know what God wants? God doesn't want your duty. He wants your heart. He wants you to want to be obedient, not just to carry out obedience. And so that's why this is a spiritual journey. And so it's great in the Greek that we can see the depth here that God is saying to him, I want you to want this. And you're not going to want to because once he heard the name Saul, there's a difficulty for Ananias. Verse 12, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Here's a teaching point. If you circle, highlight, underline your text, here's a great one. God will never assign you to something he's not already gone before. Now, please hear me. That does not, please hear me, that does not mean it'll be easy. And that does not mean that the risks are removed. What it does mean is this, he will never assign you something he's not already gone ahead of you on. So as he's assigning you something by name, he's already gone and started all the work before you. So notice this, I'm giving you a vision and I'm sending you to a guy who's having a vision. This is how much involved I am. And so church, when you look at this, does this look like, see, there's a teaching out there right now um, it's called open theism. And open theism teaches that, oh, say, so God is real and God created earth, but once he created earth, then God just kind of took his hands off and how it goes is how it goes. He so doesn't want to control it. He so doesn't want us to be autotrons or robots. He just wants us to choose love. And y'all have seen through the text how often man has chosen love, right? Like in the very first brothers, they killed each other. So, so you know, we've chosen love so often. And so there's people who teach, man, like when the planes hit the towers, God had no clue, dude. It caught him off guard. God went like, whoa, never saw that coming. If that is really God, that's not God. Because if God created it and took his hands off, who's now running the show? Us. And I've got lots of guns. I'm going to do well. But that's not how this works, right? No, God is controlling, he's controlling it so much that he impresses a guy in a vision, tells him to go to a guy that he's given him another vision to all at the same time, and he's not even broken a sweat because he's doing 18,000 other visions to other people all at the same time. And so to think that God is not absolutely controlling this is foolish thought. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered. Okay, so Ananias was smart. He responded correctly. Here I am, Lord but he's about to make his first excuse. I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. How many times has God spoken to you and impressed upon you something spiritually and immediately you bring your physical surroundings right back into the conversation? So God's trying to do something outside the physical. He's wanting to do something spiritually within you. He's wanting to change your very heart. He's wanting you to move from duty to love and respect and honor and your heart really be shaped, and the moment he asks you to do it, here's what you say, but, but do, do, do you see all this? The laundry's piled up. Lord, you, we got teachers' meetings Monday, and we just moved my other one in on Friday, and, and I've got, like, clients, and I've got stuff to fix. The toilet's backed up again. True story. 
I mean, and so, so again, here, here's the stuff, right? And so immediately he says, whoa, 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 Lord Saul, that, no, are you kidding me? I've heard about that dude. And, and so he continues, that's his first excuse. Verse 14, now this is the one that's almost comical. And he has authority. The word authority is exousia. In Greek, it means power or jurisdiction. All right, so here's Ananias telling the creator God of the universe who is seeing him in a vision, who is also visiting Saul in a vision. He's sending Ananias to Saul. So Ananias is saying, but you don't know about this guy, obviously. Let me tell you the story. And in fact, he says he has jurisdiction here. Can you imagine telling God somebody has jurisdiction somewhere? I mean, this is God, right? Right. Where's his jurisdiction end? Uh, It has no end. It has no beginning. It's just all over the place. But yet he's, he's like, but Lord, th- this guy, this guy's got jurisdiction. He has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. All right, so I'm obviously one who calls on your name. That's how I ended up in Damascus because I would have started out in Jerusalem. We moved all the way up here six days away, started a new group of believers. And now you send the guy up here after us and you want me to go talk to him like we're friends. Do you not understand what power and what authority and what jurisdiction this guy has? And so this is the struggle of Ananias. But the Lord said to him, all right, so remember how we started in the imperative voice? Notice what he said to him in red letters with the quotations around it. Go. That's it. Could have stopped right there, but he didn't stop. He, he wanted him to understand. Go. For this man is my chosen skevos. It's in the Greek, it means instrument, it means tool, it means possession, my belonging. And so here's what God says to him. I hear who you say he is, let me tell you who he is. He belongs to me. He's actually mine. I don't think you get it yet. He's working for me. Y'all do understand, here's what God said about Cyrus, one of the most pagan, pagan king leaders of the Persian Empire that ever existed. Here's what God said about Cyrus, I raised you up for this. Literally, you, you think you're powerful. You call yourself a God. I raised you. God, Yahweh, is saying, I raised you up for this moment. What moment? To send the Jews back. To send the Israelites back to their native land. And here, here's, here's what he says. He says, okay, I hear you. I hear the jurisdiction you say the chief priests have afforded him. I'm telling you, he's actually mine. So I want you to go. This is my possession. This is my belonging to take the name to the Gentiles and kings and Israelites. Here's what we don't understand or read in English that's not in any English translation. The way that's worded in Greek, that is coming from the judicial world. Here, here's virtually what he just told Ananias. This guy's gonna stand trial. So here's how he's gonna take my name to the kings and to the Gentiles and to the Israelites. He's, he's gonna be on trial. And in case you don't know, that's exactly what happened to Paul. He was charged and arrested and stood trial before Gentiles, before kings, and before the Israelites, all of the above. And so notice something else about the justness of our God. This is something he's speaking to Ananias. Didn't have to, but he did it anyway. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The word suffer is pasco. It means to experience. And so here's what, here's what God is affirming to Ananias. I know exactly who he is. I know that he's persecuted my people. I know that he's murdered my people. And if you think I'm going to save him and his life is going to be roses and peaches and cream from this point forward, you are sadly mistaken. He said, I'm going to show him what he's going to suffer and he's still going to do it. And so can, can you imagine 
God coming to you in a vision, you've, blind, you've been blinded. So he's been blind for three days. He's waiting for God to send Ananias to him, and God is revealing to him, you are my chosen instrument. I have done this to you on purpose, and you will do these things in the future, and here's all the trouble you're going to have. Can you imagine God telling you beforehand how hard this is going to be, and then you still have to do it? I'm absolutely convinced the reason he, don't tell, he doesn't tell us is because we would quit. If we all knew what awaited us in the future, we would become very discouraged. Because you do understand, here's what Jesus promised, your future will hold. Trouble, trouble, and more trouble. And so I'm absolutely convinced he doesn't reveal all of that to us, so we don't lose heart, we don't lose hope. And yet, here's what he did to Paul. He said, I'm going to show him exactly what he is going to suffer for my name. So he's going to be mine. I'm saving him, and since there's no condemnation in the final judgment for somebody who's found in Christ Jesus, and Paul is truly going to be found in Christ Jesus, so there'll be no punishment for him in eternity, so he's going to get his right now. His whole life of serving me is going to be hard, hard, and harder. That is going to be his life. And so there's this sense of the justness of our very God. Ananias went, entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. Now, can you imagine? Here's a guy who's killed friends of yours, maybe even family members. Here's a guy who's killed friends of yours and maybe even your family. And you have to go in and lay your hands on him. And God says, I want you to desire this. Not just do it out of duty. I want you to desire this. I want you to want to do this. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so get this for a minute. The word filled is pimplamy. It's the same word used in Act 2 when all the Jewish believers came to know the Lord. It's the same one used in Acts 9 later on when the Samaritans all come to know the Lord. So you got a kind of a Jewish Pentecost and a Samaritan Pentecost, so a Jewish and a Gentile Pentecost, so to speak. And so this is the exact same word, pimplamy. It means to fill completely. And the reason I'm mentioning this is this. We know that you are filled completely at the point of belief. It seems very foolish to me then to pray for a further filling if I'm already filled completely. And, and some, some denominations teach that, that you are saved, but you don't receive the Holy Spirit until some point over here, and it's manifested through a, a particular spiritual gift. Biblically, that's simply not taught. Biblically, pimplamy means filled, and so I'm filled, sealed, past tense, by the Holy Spirit at the point of belief. There, there's three different passages that voice that. And so I'm sealed at the point of belief, so I'm filled completely. There is no more Holy Spirit I can receive. Now, what this does not mean is that the Holy Spirit won't act upon you, and you have a different spiritual gift and a different spiritual experience. The Holy Spirit distributes the gifts based on his pleasure, which means no matter how hard I pray, if it's not his pleasure to give me that gift, I'm not going to get it. And to declare people aren't saved because they haven't received this particular gift is actually not biblically correct. To say that they haven't received the Spirit's power because they don't display this particular gift is also biblically not correct. Because the Holy Spirit, based on 1 Corinthians 12, gives his filling based on his pleasure, meaning you can pray all you want, but if he doesn't want to give you that particular gift, you don't get it. The answer is no, because it's not yours. It's his. And so, again, here's what's happening. God is using this moment. He is helping Saul to understand you are dependent on me to give you the Spirit. This is not something you can do on your own. You are dependent on me just like each of us are dependent on the Holy Spirit and God to give it. We can't pray it up. Verse 18. 
at once something like scales. Uh, this will give you an idea. The word scales is the word lepus. It's where we get leper from. If you've ever seen pictures of people with leprosy, the skin becomes very flaky. Well, that, that's what this is the word referring to. It's like this flakiness. So, so it would have been like not fish scales. I kind of grew up thinking scales. Guys, I grew up fishing for crappie and brim. You ever taken a spoon to, to clean off your fish? You know, the scale. That's what I was thinking with scales. That's not this word. This is more of a flaky, dead, dry skin. Lepis. It's lepis. It's, it's where we get leprosy from. And, and so that's the root. And so you're, you're talking about this dry flakiness. So these, these flaky things fell off of his eyes. So in that moment, he couldn't see. Let, let, me, give you, let me give you an example. I've actually seen this um, on TV. No kidding. Back in the Lazy Boy. Here we are again, right? I love documentary stuff. I was watching National Geographic, and I was watching how the skin sloughs off of this massive boa. I, when, when I'm talking about y'all python. This thick, 22 feet long. I, the only good snake's a dead snake in the Gates world. I'm just, amen. There we go. Uh, so, so, but here's what's kind of weird about that thing. Its eyes actually slough off. Not, not the eyeball, but the skin on the outside. So like when its skin sheds, that includes its eyes. For about three weeks, that dude is as blind as a bat. Because the, the scales build up on its eyes until its skin sloughs off. I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, it, you look at its eyes, and it showed, a, it showed one not going through the sloughing off process, and its eyes are just dark black because they're just evil. Um, amen again. And, and so anything that will just swallow you whole, that's just messed up. And so, so, so the eyes are just like this dark black color, but when they're going through the sloughing off process, it's got like this, this sheen over it. It's like put, putting saran wrap over it until it sloughs off. Well, that's kind of the picture here. He had, these, he had this sloughing off skin, this flaky skin that was covering his eyes. And there's just really no way for me to give you a picture of that. I couldn't find anything like it. So these scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Okay, so I want you to get back to the thought of what this text is actually about. Remember, my heading said Saul's baptism. Baptism was four words out of that whole text. That text was not about Saul's baptism. That text is about Ananias getting called out of his comfort spot, which was safe and not at risk to go do something that God was about to do miraculous things to do and with. And so, so you've got Ananias coming out of his lazy boy, going to a person that he should have just legitimately hated and placing his hands on him so he could do something great. I mean, you want to talk about rocking his boat, rocking his world, this is exactly what God did, but notice what Saul or Paul did after. Let me give you an example, a real-life example. A couple guys, one named Derek, another one named Mike. This is a true story. LaGrange, Georgia is where this took place, on a massive lake that's there in Georgia. Georgia has lots of these big lakes. His buddy, uh, Mike, is Derek and Mike. And so, so Mike's got this new bass boat. And, you know, Mike's a, uh, uh, he's one of those anglers that's all in, and so one of these really nice rigs, and here was the only problem. What Mike forgot to check before they got on the lake that day was the gas hand. That's, no, that's never happened to any of y'all in your vehicles or boat especially. But they get out on this big massive lake and they have fished all day and they're not tearing it up. In fact, they're not catching anything. I mean, it's just one of those eight-hour days where you just do nothing but get hot and your, your lure gets wet and nothing else lands in the boat but you and sweat. That's it. And so it's one of those days, so it's been frustrating. They get ready to go back to shore, and they start heading back, and they're about 20 minutes off the shore. This is how big the lake is. They got about a 20-minute boat ride to get back. 
And they start heading back, and he said, man, he said, we're not five minutes into the return journey. And I said, and he's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. He looks at Mike. Derek looks at Mike and says, dude, you did fill up with gas, right? And he said, Mike's color just left him. Because they're out in the middle of nowhere, and here's the problem. They fished all day. It's now getting dark, like it is right before pitch black dark. And he said, you don't see another boat in sight because everybody else has already cleared out. And he said, we're, we're trying to get in at night. And it's, you know, one of those things, I don't know if you've ever been on water before and you lose sight of land. You can get really turned around on water. Water is weird. Like I've gone back and forth across a lake before and thought I was running this way. No kidding. I was going this way and thought I was running this way on the lake. At nighttime, it gets really confusing. And, and so it's starting to get dark and they're getting a little nervous. And Mike said, hey, man. I think what's happening is it's losing its vacuum because the gas flow is so low. So if we somehow can rock that gas, maybe enough will get up into the fuel line that will keep this thing running. Well, believe it or not, they started that. So, so Derek gets in the middle of this boat, $16,000 boat with no gas in it, and he starts rocking. Fires up. Mike's like, hang on, man. Here they go. And, and sure enough, they rocked the boat. No kidding. He went at almost idle speed, and they rocked the boat, and they made it all the way back to shore because he was rocking just enough gas up into the fuel line. What do you think Mike's legs, Derek's legs, felt like when he got back to the shore? It took him 29 minutes, by the way. 29 minutes. He timed it. He said when he got to shore, he couldn't walk out of the boat. He just laid down in the middle of it. He said, he, he, he said sweat is not the word. This is summer in Georgia. Y'all have been in, some of y'all have been to Georgia. It's hot. Summer night in Georgia, mosquitoes the size of B-52s. It's been a long idling ride across the lake as the engine just continues to sputter. You don't know if it's going to go dead or not. And he's just rocking and rocking and rocking. He said, I cannot tell you how angry I was by the time we got to the other side. He said, but I was so exhausted, I couldn't hurt Mike at all. And so there he lay in the bottom of the boat, just completely spent. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Some of you may feel like that in your spiritual journey too. You may feel like you, you just laid out in the boat. Physical problems going on, financial problems going on, relational problems going on. Even spiritual problems going on. Like, you, you don't even know where you're at in your own journey. I mean, you're, you're looking and, God, where are you? I've called out and I've asked you to change this. and You don't change it. Remember this. God will not always change what you want because that may not be part of his plan for you. So do you understand who's still calling the shots? It is God, not us. He tells us and encourages us to call out to him. But, but here's what he would command you to do. He would command you to get to rocking. Because, see, all of us are in this boat. And that boat at any minute can start to sputter. Listen, that boat at any minute, my spiritual journey at any minute can come under attack. It can start to stall. It can start to run out of gas. Why? Because I lose my focus. I forgot to fill up. I forgot to fill my tank, whether that was filling it with Christian friends around me or filling it with the intake of Scripture or prayer dialogue with God, whatever it may be. We, we can run empty, and all of a sudden we start to sputter. And so the challenge is to get to rocking. And please hear me, there's way too many of us that rock the boat the wrong way. I'm talking about rocking the boat from the standpoint of getting it moving again, not rocking the boat because I just say the first thing that comes to my mouth. No, that's not what we do. I like to stir the pot. God is a God of peace, not a God of disorder. So I'm not talking about rocking the boat in a negative way. I'm talking about rocking your spiritual boat in such a way that we get moving again. That we're not just sitting out in the middle of the water or we're sputtering along and not making any progress, not catching any fish. Remember, we're supposed to be fishing now. 
He said, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. We need fish landing in the boat, not fish standing in the water. And too many Christians, their boats have stopped. And because the boat stopped, they don't have any hooks getting wet. And so what we need to do is make sure we're rocking the boat and getting our spiritual journey back on track again. So, so let, me, let me give you some clues to what that looks like. If I'm doing this, number one, I am listening for the Lord to speak. Now remember, it is unlikely unless the Lord has something that is so different that he's going to come to you personally in a vision. I'm not saying he will not. Please hear me. I am not telling you that the Lord will not come to you in a vision. I'm not telling you the Lord won't speak to you in a dream. I'm not telling you you won't hear an audible voice just like Paul did. What I'm telling you is he is talking to you all the time. It just may not be supernatural like you're expecting. Because in case you don't remember, this is not a book about God. This is a book from God. There's a big difference. There's lots of history books about people. Lots of biographies. But this is a revelation from God. So, so, so this is God speaking to us. And it's not just salvation. It is about the spiritual journey that we're on and how to journey well. And so if I'm really listening to God, then I am just like Ananias was described. I am a mathetes. I am a disciple, which means a student, a pupil. If I, if I had you rate, and don't, don't, don't do this, but in your head do this. If I had you rate your Bible intake for this week, how would you score that on a one to 10 scale? Five being, hey, out of seven days, I might have had three days that I read the Bible in there. 10 would be, hey man, seven days I'm in, I'm locked in. I mean, every day I was listening to the Lord. I was dialoguing with him and I didn't read it and like try to rush through it. Guys, I've done this. Listen, this is your pastor saying this. There have been times in my life I've gotten my devotion and I want to do my God thing out of duty, not my God thing out of my heart being changed. And I've read through it, and I've got done, put it down, and I'm on to the next thing and never once thought of that again. I know none of you do that, but I've done that. That's not listening. That's not listening. That is out of duty. Let me get through this as quickly as I can. But, but we also listen how. We also sometimes listen. Believe it or not, sometimes we also listening we're also listening while we're speaking. So, so as I'm talking to God, then I'm, I'm listening for an answer. So, so I'm dialoguing, but how many of us in our prayer time do all the talking, amen, walk away, and that's it, right? We don't wait for God to speak to us. Why? Because I want to make sure I get my agenda on God's schedule because I know his day planner is filling up, and if I don't get my agenda on his schedule, here's the only problem. God wants me to be more about his agenda, not mine. I shouldn't be asking God to bless my agenda. I should be asking him what agenda he has for me. And so we reverse this all of the time. Number two, by obeying when he does speak to us. Um, I, I'm, I'm so excited about our church, not just y'all being here, but guys, in the last couple of weeks, I've had different people come to me about different ministries God's really laid on their hearts, like, like truly, like vocational calling. I think God's called me to this. I think God's calling me into that. Listen, a sign of a healthy church is a church that does what you're doing from the standpoint of we're serving our community. We've got men's and women's events coming up that we're going to invite people to so they get a chance to grow in the word and be discipled. But a healthy church, a really healthy church, has people that God is calling to do stuff outside these walls, like even leave this church. No, I'm calling you away. It may be over here or it may be over there. I'm calling you to do something else vocationally. And it thrills me when people come sit in my office and they're nervous. 
man, they're a little anxious because, you know, what do I do with this? I've never had this before, and they don't understand why I'm so excited. They think I'm excited because they're leaving. Because that's what I tell them. Look, if God's called you to this, let's pack. What? I was hoping you were going to try to talk me out of it. No. Nope. We talked about this before. Why does God put that, that quiver of arrows on our back? It's not to carry the arrows around, right? It's to shoot the arrows out. Boom. Why? Because the arrows flying out is what hurts the enemy. Guys, we want to send people out of here. We want them to start new works for the Lord. We want them to go into vocational ministry. I want people to say, hey, I think God's called me to be a teacher, but I really think I'm supposed to go up to Kansas City and do something right. Dude, let's go. Let's pack. Let's get the U-Haul loaded. If God's called you this, let's hit it. But remember, there's a difference in obeying out of duty and obeying out of devotion. At the very minimum, please hear me. At the very minimum, obey out of duty. But here's what I want you to start praying. God, I don't want to obey just because you tell me. I want to obey because I love you. Start praying for God to change your heart. That's what I've had to learn over the years to pray for my kids. I can set up parameters, and I can issue repercussions when they violate the parameters, but what I ultimately want them to do is desire what's right. Not just do what's right. I want them to want what's right. But I can't want that enough for that to change them. Who's the only person who can change them? So what do we pray about our own selves? Lord, I don't want to obey out of duty. I'm from law enforcement background, guys. I, I have been dutiful. I know what it's like to take an order and obey it. Not because I even like the person, because I've had supervisors I couldn't stand. And yet when I was given a command, you know what I did? I carried it out out of duty. I don't want that relationship with God. I want to obey him because I love him, because I know he loves me. And so let's pray that he changes us. By refusing to shrink back from the task, notice what Ananias did. When God gave him the task, what was his first response? Excuse number one. But Lord, you haven't heard. Y'all do understand God's heard everything. Like, everything. There's nothing you're going to tell him. But it's okay for you to voice it. That's the plus side. God's okay with you going, hey, but, but Lord... God's okay with that. As long as, what is the outcome? I obey. He's okay for you to voice, this is, this, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this. I, I'm, Lord, I'm, I'm really anxious about this. I just, I don't know that this is gonna work. I, I don't know why you want me to pack up everything when I'm in the Metroplex of Dallas and move up to Branson, Missouri, where the only person I've talked to is a lady named Karen Hart, and I don't even know where Forsyth is. Really, this is where you're sending me. Really? God's okay with you voicing that. Because what was the outcome? The 26-foot U-Haul and another 10-foot U-Haul trailer all got loaded up and moved to the Ozark Mountains. So he's concerned with the outcome. He's okay with you journeying in between. He's okay with the struggle as long as it still ends in obedience. By trusting that he has already gone before us, that's the part that I've come to understand there is nothing he's ever asked me to do, no opportunity he's ever presented to me, no door that he's ever opened that he hasn't already been there. Now, please hear me. There's many of those opportunities and many of those doors I've gone through that it was hard, and some of them were almost brutal. Some of them were almost brutal. I mean, just to the point where you just couldn't stomach it. Five and a half years can feel like 50 when it's miserable. I've been there, and some of you have too but here was the thing that I'm absolutely convinced of. I was just as sent there, just as much sent there as I ever have been any place in my life. And God had already gone before and he had prepped that world for me and he was teaching me so much through that five and a half years of struggle. And it was hard. 
And so please hear me. Just, be, just because God's gone before you doesn't mean he's going to take all the obstacles out. In fact, God's going to go before you and he's going to plant some obstacles because it's good for your growth. It's good for your growth. And then finally, by leaving the outcomes to him, guys, this may sound weird to you. Um, somebody asked me seven years ago when I came here, hey, what's your vision for this church? I'm like, dude, I have no clue. I don't know any of y'all. And they thought that was the most unprofessional thing because if you read books, there's all these books out there that people have written, you know, the pastor's supposed to cast this vision for the church. That is absolutely flawed. That is absolutely flawed. This is not my church. This is not your church. Who does the church belong to? Who then casts the vision for what he wants his church to be? What is my sole job? To teach you what God says. And so I came here and somebody said, what's your vision for our church? And I just kind of laughed. <laughs> um, let's see, Acts 2, that's a good place to start. The church does this, this, this. That's where we're headed. We're going to do what God says the church should do. That's the vision for this church, to do what God says do. What was God's vision for Ananias? Go, do what I say. What's God's vision for every believer? Go, do what I say. Here's my question. How well have we gone this week? How well have we done what God says this week, this past week, seven days, Sunday to Sunday? How well have you gone this week to whatever that may be? It, it, it may be within your own household. It may be to work. It may be while you're out shopping. It may be moving your kid into college. But how well have we gone this week and then been obedient to the things God's been telling us to do? Well, Justin, right now, I'm really not sure what, what God is leading you to do. You know what? That is okay. God is okay for you sometimes to not know the direction yet. Because, see, you're having to wait and trust. God is really good with having you wait and trust. He's okay with that. Here's the thing, though. While you are waiting and you are trusting, you just simply have to make sure that your life is still lining up to the pages of this book. Because obedience is still required, even if you don't know the final outcome yet, and you don't even know the direction yet. God is okay with you struggling with direction. What he's not okay with is you getting off the path. So as long as we're still moving down the path, even though we don't know what city we're headed to next, we don't know what relationship we're headed to next, we don't know what our major is supposed to be yet. I haven't figured out what I want to be when I grow up. It's okay. But while you're figuring it out, what God has in store for you, we stay on the right path and we keep moving and growing. What God does not like, nor will he tolerate very long, is a person who claims to be a Christian who is stagnant in their faith. That is what is offensive to him. That is what is disobedient to him. You have the responsibility, the same Paul later writes, to stay on the path. It is God's job to point out to you where it's going to lead. It is your job to remain on it until God changes your direction. So my question for us this morning as we close is this. Are you sure you're on the path? Are you sure you're on the path? And here's the way you'll know. Is it lining up with what God's word still says? I still don't know the outcome, Justin. I just don't know about this ministry opportunity yet. I don't know if it's a yes or if it's a no. I'm still processing. God hasn't given me peace. Okay, keep processing, but add more believers to your circle. Have them pray for you. That way you will start to get a sense from other people. God will use them. He used Ananias to go to Saul. God could have just taken the scales right off Saul's eyes, but he didn't. 
He sent Ananias. Why? Because he was doing something with Ananias while he was doing it with Saul. Saul's having to wait and be patient. Ananias is having to get out of the lazy boy. So you may be sitting and waiting and having to be patient, or you may be called by God to get out of the lazy boy. It may be that you're to take a stand this week on something that's been going on in the office, this debate. I just had one this past week. had someone explaining to me, because they are a friend to this person who is struggling with same-gender attraction. The question was asked, well, have you ever confronted your friend over the fact that their lifestyle is not pleasing to the Lord and they claim to be a Christian? Oh, no, that is not how friendship works in our generation. (laughs) Your friendship rules are wrong. Now, I'm not telling you not to be friends. You still need to be friends. You need to be loving and kind because the worst thing Christians can do is take the Bible and go, boom, that's law enforcement. That was a great world that I was in. I But we can't do that, right? But you know what? We've got Christians, guys, please hear me, Christians who are devout, grounded, saved, going to heaven when they die right now, who are so struggling with culture, they don't know what to do with it. No, man, they're my friend. And my friendship with them is unconditional. So, so no, I, I don't want to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. No, you have to. If you love them, you have to tell them what they're doing is wrong. That's true love. Not loving them would be not telling them. Because if you really believe that Jesus is going to hold them accountable, you're going to go out of your way to make sure they understand what Jesus requires. And this person claims to be a Christian, is living this lifestyle, and you're ignoring it? That's not good. But that's where we're at. Lots of our Christians are there. So, so what stance do you need to take at work? What stance do you need to take within your own home? Kind of rock the boat a little bit. Not in a bad way, but to get your spiritual journey back on track. And maybe you're here this morning and go, Justin, I don't know that I've ever even been on the right path. I, I'm listening to you, but I, I don't know that I've got this journey even going with God. I don't know that I know him personally. Well, well if that's you, I'm going to ask you a big-time favor this morning. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. But when I finish praying in just a minute, these double doors right over here, if you would just walk over there, I want you to do me a favor. We've got some folks that have lots of knowledge, and they've got something they, they want to just kind of walk through with you and let you see what it means to really be a follower of Jesus, what that requirement looks like biblically. But see, a lot of you in this room, you know that's not you. You, You've taken that step. You know you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You've been filled with his presence, and yet you know that your last week hasn't been one of those weeks where you got out of your comfort zone very much. In fact, Sunday to to Saturday, you kind of lived pretty much in the bubble. Go to work, come home. Go to work, come home. Go to work, come home. And you're pretty comfortable in that bubble. Please hear me. God's not called you to a life of comfort. God has not called you to a life of comfort. He's called you to a life filled with challenge. And what he's going to address with us at some point, according to Matthew 25, is we're going to stand there and he's going to address how we've dealt with this life. Did we stand the lazy boy or did we get out? Ask yourself this question this morning, am I willing to step up? Am I willing to get up out of my seat?